Welcome to Political as Heck, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Assel, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. What's going on, Todd? Hey, Corey. Hey. Okay, so we're going to continue on with a topic that we've talked about before, and that is uh, what's happening with the Attorney General, Sean Reyes, and this audit. So a few weeks ago, we discussed how the legislature, including you, signed a letter, pushed for an audit of the Attorney General's office. Since that time, obviously, we talked about this last week, uh, Sean Reyes has announced that he will not seek re-election. Even so, several lawmakers led by Ken Ivory want to see the audit move forward. I think that's partly because the attorney general has, for whatever reason, refused to release his tra- travel calendar schedule. Todd, your quoted is saying that the audit ought to move forward. What's your reasoning for that? And I asked kind of because, you know, an audit would be take several months and obviously it's going to take staff hours and we have a cost and stuff like that. So. Yeah. So um, again, p- part of one of the functions of the legislature is to audit executive branch agencies and other agencies that receive taxpayer funds, um, mostly executive branch agencies. And so, you know, our auditors are on payroll. So they're, we are always doing about six audits at a time and we haven't done the AG's office for, I think, about eight years. And so, um, you know, that that's not why we're doing it right now. There's other reasons that we've already articulated. But, um, you know, so it's not as if we would lay off these auditors if we stopped auditing the AG's office. And, you know, I think there's always lessons to be learned. And I think there's a lot of questions that have been raised that haven't been answered yet. For instance, Despite announcing that he's not running for re-election, the attorney general is still refusing to release his travel schedule over the last three years. And I think the taxpayers have a right to know. I mean, the Tribune has said that he took at least, I think, 30 trips um, in 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I think the taxpayers have a right to know. And and it really bothered me when I found out that, you know, the um some local media, KSL, Salt Lake Tribune, others had made grandma requests. And not only had he denied it, they had appealed it to the records committee and they lost, the AG's office lost. And so now they're appealing it to the district court. And so what is there to hide? You know, you're an elected official, you have a full-time salary. Um, You know, there's no security issues for what you did a year ago, you know? And so that, that really bothers me. And, you know, I, I don't, think there was anything illegal that happened with OUR and Tim Ballard, but we don't know that. And and I'm not saying that that, that we're going to find that. I, I, I'll i be shocked if we do find that. But there are other issues. For instance, um, the AG's office was accepting donations from OUR, and OUR then was taking the statistics for the whole office for the, the crimes against uh, sexual crimes against children um, task force. They they were it looks like they were like almost the AG's office was selling their statistics. And let's say those statistics were 90 percent funded with taxpayer funds and 10 percent with OUR funds. And then we're letting OUR the, the, the allegation is we let OUR tell their donors, look at what we've done with your money when it was actually taxpayer money that did most of it. So I, I think there are some the, I, I'm just hitting the tip of the iceberg, but I think there's a lot of questions that we still need to have answered. And I think everyone can learn from other people's mistakes. So. So that's interesting stuff. I, I didn't realize he was being that obstinate. What is the, what is the AG argument for not releasing a calendar, especially they're saying the, that they're not um, that, that his, his calendar 
is not a public record, which is kind of stretches the imagination. His public calendar is not a public record. Well, they're saying it's not. They're saying his list of appointments that his office uses to decide when he can meet with people that that somehow is is private. That that's his argument. So, well, that is strange. So. I didn't, I didn't realize it was gone to that degree. So now I'm even yeah. more interested. So yeah, you better audit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you don't get to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Not when you're elected official. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't think so at all. And, and you know what? I, I need to say, Corey, I, I go on some junkets, you know, as a state center, maybe, maybe once a year, usually, um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you there, there was a, uh, console state government, uh, um, conference in Hawaii a year ago this month, and I went to it, and there were a lot of legislators there. But I can tell you, I was invited to speak at that summit, and so I felt like I kind of had the cover. And uh, I know Jordan Tusher got an award uh, at that summit. Um, but you know, we, we do, you know, so, but, but, but I, I just want to say the difference, you know, one trip a year or maybe two trips a year is different than 30, number one. Number two, we're, we're part time legislators, you know, we're not, um, you know, no one's expecting us to, you know, except, you know, in February, you know, to be working 40 hours a week, if you know what I'm saying. So I, th- I think there's a lot of differences uh, between what I do and, and, and the AG. So my guess is Senate leadership would wish you wouldn't call it a junket and just say, it's well, I, I'm, I'm being <laughs> but, a little uh, bit facetious, but, um, <laughs> and, and I, and I will say, and, you know, that, that was a CSG conference. I, I was voted and I haven't really told anybody this, but I was, voted last month to be the incoming president of CSG West. So that means uh, we'll be bringing that junket to Salt Lake in 20, in two years. So right on. Well, congratulations. Yeah. There's, uh, one thing is definitely for sure is that there's enough to keep you guys busy. If you want to travel a lot. Yeah. Even, well, around the state and, and beyond there's uh it seems like there's something going on all the time. And, and I have no doubt that some of um, Sean Reyes Reyes's travel was completely above board and legitimate. I mean, they have AG conferences and I think it's totally appropriate for you know Utah to participate in those, and uh, and some of the I'm guessing that some of the travel was uh, maybe not as legit, not as necessary. Let's put it that way. All right, so uh, the Ryan Smith Entertainment Group—that's the company that has a majority stake in the Utah Jazz. It's held closed-door discussions with the Point of the Mountain State Land Authority about building a new arena near the old site of the Utah State Prison at the south end of Salt Lake County. In other words, moving the jazz out of the Delta Center and Salt Lake City. Now, recall that the Salt Lake Bees have already announced plans to move from Salt Lake City to Daybreak in South Jordan. And now there's more conversation about moving the jazz. The reason I wanted to bring this up, some people are going to be like, oh, that's never going to happen. And and it probably won't. But I wanted to raise it because I don't think it's just negotiating one-on-one on uh, on the part of Ryan Smith and the jazz, because he clearly wants to bring an NHL team to Utah. The Delta Center is not a great venue for that purpose. Point of the Mountain Development Project offers a real rare opportunity to kind of think big about possibilities and a new arena at the point could go hand in hand with other development, including, you know, hotels and office buildings and shops and bars and restaurants and the whole thing. Other cities have provided for teams to share in some of those expanded opportunities. In other words, have a cut in some of the restaurants and bars. Now this is headline news right now. And the reason I really want to talk about it is 
because Ted Leonsis, he's the billionaire owner of the Washington DC Wizards and the Washington Capitals, just announced that he's going to move the Wizards and Capitals to Northern Virginia out of DC. And making more money obviously is a big part. That's that's a main reason. Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin has been open uh, to providing development incentives for Leonsis and 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 his entertainment group. But this is also happening because Chinatown, the Chinatown area in DC where Capital One Arena is, has gone from really a hipster nightlife part of town. When I was in law school, it was sketchy. And then it went to, it became like probably the hipster part of town. It really happened to spot lots of, lots of bars and restaurants and people hanging out super late and so forth. Not me, but you know, cool people. And now it's kind of, it's uh, regressed back to kind of crime and homelessness and and i'm not sure the salt lake city is so far behind i mean it's like uh it's headed in the same direction maybe like you know eight or ten years behind in that direction and i think that this is a really healthy discussion to have not just because you know ryan smith wants to make more money and wants to bring a hockey team i think i think those are both noble goals and we want the team to succeed and so forth but also because it gets Salt Lake, like this was part of the debate for the mayor's election um, in uh, this this past cycle, and I think it's I think it's a, a healthy debate to have because you know what we were talking about is you know why Governor Cox and Phil Lyman were were endorsing one or another like progressive candidate. I think what we should have been talking about is like what are you really going to do to make Salt Lake better and not like you know um, increasingly filled with uh open air drug use and so forth but yeah todd i know you dismissed this idea but i don't want to put words in your mouth what do you think well i mean you're making some good points i i will say this development at the point of the mountain it's not even a once in a century opportunity it's like the last opportunity you're never going to have in 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 the along the wasatch front you're never going to have six or seven hundred acres open up like 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 we just did um, and, you know, we know that by 2050 or 2060, we're going to add about a million people in Utah County. I mean, it, it's Utah County, uh, our, our grandchildren, the Utah County of our grandchildren is not going to be what we what we've thought of Utah County. And it's already changed. I, I remember when they built that um, water tower at Thanksgiving Point, like in the middle of a of a farm field and it's like everybody's yeah. like what the heck and now you drive by through that and it's it's solid you know commercial door-to-door commercial um but you know utah county is going to continue to change and um and so i think in 20 or 30 years it, it would make sense to have um a, a major sports arena right there where it's equally accessible from provo as it is from salt lake um and of course lehigh is 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 you know maybe going to rival sandy or some of the, you know, West Valley, you know, in, in, in the next, in the upcoming decades. But um, I just have to think that, you know, the Delta Center, I mean, so I, I disagree with you. I don't think Salt Lake is eight years behind Washington, D.C. I remember about 10 years ago, it might have been eight years ago, but a while ago, I was I was in D.C. And I don't know D.C. like you do, but I was going to the the Nationals baseball game. And I just rented one of those city bikes, you know, and I rode like all the way to the game. And I went through some neighborhoods that I, I wasn't sure if I was <laughs> going to escape alive. Um, yeah, those are still bad. To a yeah, couple of them. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know exactly where the wizards play. I think Atlanta, they're, they're moving their, their basketball arena out of downtown. But if you've been 
like the last time I was in downtown Atlanta, like my rental car was broken into and all of my luggage was stolen. And so I think Salt Lake, you know, we do have a homeless issue in Salt Lake. We do have a crime issue in Salt Lake. I'm not denying that. I'm not sticking my head in the sand, but it is not Washington, D.C. and it is not Atlanta. So my guess is at the end of the day, uh, the Jazz will stay downtown, but I could be wrong. It's just I, I think they're probably negotiating. I think it is, you know, trying to gain some leverage and get some concessions for more more police coverage and more, you know, um, you know, more patrols in that area. We'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, no doubt that's true. I mean, I really wonder what, what Salt Lake would look like if it wasn't for the churches, the money that they've de- spent on development downtown and yeah. that sort of thing. But, and anyway, well, we would this... have a decaying uh, Cottonwood uh, Mall. Co- what yeah. was what were those malls called that they tore down for City Creek? Yeah, uh, those were, those went down really fast. And <laughs> if, if you added ten years to that, it would not be pretty. Oh, 100%. So uh, this, this is an opinion that won't be popular in your neck of the woods, but um, the point of the mountain is like super close to my house. So it wouldn't yeah. hurt my feelings if they move there, even though I think you're probably right. They probably won't. But anyway, I think it's worth discussing. And this is, this is going to come up again. And when that, when that development starts, I think you'll see Frontrunner adds a stop right there. Mm-hmm. You know, right now it stops in Draper, but it'll probably have another stop right there. So we'll see yeah. what happens. Yeah. The Senate will vote this week on President Biden's supplemental in hopes that they can get a framework for border for Ukraine money. Now, I think this this has a great Utah hook because it really caught my attention that even Senator Romney posted on uh, on Twitter. He says, Dems want $106 billion for Ukraine. The GOP wants a closed border. That's the trade. But clueless Dems want to negotiate the border bill. Not going to happen. Is an open border more important to Dems than Ukraine and Israel? That's close quote. I thought I thought that was great that he you know he posted that and it it was it's indicative of where we are because you know that's a fair trade and what's really changed over the years of course is like uh, Republicans were viewed much more as the hawkish you know uh, military party. I think that's still true on military spending uh, as far as the actual like U.S. military. Um, but what's dramatically changed is obviously Democrats have become. Uh, the party of uh, the Ukraine war. And uh, the fact that right now what we're looking at is even Mitch McConnell, who is very much, uh, you you know, in favor of Ukraine funding and probably would give them as much as they wanted, as long as they wanted. Even he's saying like, it's not going to happen unless we have some help on the border. And a CBS news poll released this week found that immigration and the border rank is the second most important issue facing the country behind worries about inflation. And what do these things have in common for President Biden? Well, there are two things where he's not doing well, immigration yeah. and, and inflation. And so the White House has already conceded that it's going to have to compromise some of its positions on immigration policy. This is huge because the left wing of the party, the progressives are absolute open borders, just crazy open borders um, is what they believe in. You know, nobody's illegal kind of thing. In the U.S., no country has the right to to keep people out, that kind of thing. Um, but so some of the things that they're debating over is a return to the remain in Mexico policy. Basically, if you want to seek asylum, seek asylum in Mexico, um, and remain in Mexico until, you know, you're right now we have, uh, you, you come to the border and if you claim asylum, we give you your ticket, you know, you're going to have a court date in six years. So go ahead and do whatever you want, uh, roam free in America. And in six years, 
we'll give you a call and you can come to your, and which is obviously nonsense. And so now it's like, no, no, no. Um, during COVID, the President Trump and then President Biden kept this, the Remain in Mexico policy, like, well, you can, you'll have your court date, but you got to stay in Mexico or wherever else until your court date comes up. And this is just kind of like return to the Title 42, which under the COVID was like the the border was a little bit more sealed in that we weren't going to let anybody in because of COVID. Um, but so those that's part of the agreement. Stricter asylum provisions in general, like right now, you know, everyone claims asylum and like one in a thousand of them are actually like uh, legitimate uh, asylee claims. Uh, obviously, progressives are super pissed. But you can see the White House is doing this because it's a bad issue. Like the two biggest issues that matter to the American people right now are the two issues that he's the worst on. And so I think it's great. And the fact that uh, Mitt Romney is out there like uh, poking Democrats over it shows uh, that something really could happen. And my final note, though, is let's just not overdo it. We're going to get a lot of really good stuff in this deal. And yes, I would love to have the entire enchilada, too. And there are several Republicans in the House. That's what they want. They want the whole thing or nothing. I've just never been like that. Let's get a bunch of stuff. And it's all wins. They're all wins. We don't have to get every win. We just can get a lot of wins in this. And and uh, I think put us on a, a much better path when it comes to the border. Todd, what do you think? Oh, I totally agree. And, um, you know, I'm not against funding for uh, additional funding for Ukraine, but I do think we need an exit strategy. And, um, you know, if you listen to Zelensky and I, I like, I'm a Zelensky fan, but, you know, he's talking about taking back, you know, Crimea and all this stuff that happened under Obama. That's not going to happen. I mean, it's not going to happen in the next decade. And so, I mean, uh, you know, Republicans are hawkish, but like when, when we go into Iraq, like in, you know, the, the first time uh, with George Bush senior, you know, um, he kind of said, here, here's our, here's our objectives. And, and we stopped that that fighting probably too soon, but our objectives were, you know, were achieved. And this, this whole idea that we're just going to fund Ukraine forever. I mean, what Biden says is as long as it takes, but that means forever. And and we've seen no progress all of 2023. You know, Ukraine's not any closer to winning in 2023 or to losing, quite frankly, than they were a year ago right now. And so if we throw another you know, 104 or 106 billion, whatever you said, are we going to see any progress in 2024? And if so, why and how? How is that going to be different? So those are questions I think the American people are starting to 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 to, to wise up to. Um, but yeah, yeah, and Israel is important as well to me, and so is the border. And so I, I think the Republicans are on solid ground here. I think the Democrats were hoping they could shame us into just you know writing another blank check for Ukraine. And I'm I'm glad I'm glad to see our Republican colleagues kind of standing arm to arm back there. And it doesn't surprise me that Mitt Romney's, you know, on that side. I, I know, I know you and a lot of other Republicans like to trash on Romney, but he's not always wrong. That's all I'm going to say. He's not always well, wrong. I'm going to call him out when I think he's right. And then he's, I think no, he's wrong. I, and I, I, and I really right for that. Um, <laughs> I, I still think Romney's right more than he's wrong, but you know, I, I may be the only one in this conversation that believes that. So. Governor Cox has a Democratic challenger for the gubernatorial race next year. Former Democratic minority leader in the House, Utah House, Brian King, has announced he will run. So Brian represents Salt Lake City as a Democrat. 
He's in his eighth term in the Utah House. I know he's your friend and you're going to defend him. That's fine. He's best known for being a progressive Democrat. And I'm going to I'm going to give you a little list in just a minute. He's also known for shoving uh, Republican Senator Dan Thatcher in the hallway. Yes, he <laughs> is. The two he's known most of them. <laughs> um, but hey, just 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 so we're all on the same page. Brian, excuse me, Brian King is pro-abortion. He's against basically all, uh, you know, he, he's, he's in favor of every piece of gun control he, anyone has ever come up with. He wants to expand DEI. He wants boys playing girls sports. He wants more spending. He wants higher taxes. He wants open borders. He voted for kids to attend sexualized drag shows. He wants to empower teachers unions. He wants to lock down the economy for COVID, man. He was a total COVIDian. He supports Green New Deal policies, all that. So I'm I'm laying this out not to just, you know, say he's a bad guy. I'm sure he's a good human, and you're going to tell us that. And I, and I don't doubt it at all. But I but I just to highlight the fact how far the party has changed. This is not – we're not talking about some throwback centrist Democrat like Jim Matheson. You know, we're talking about like and, – and, and, uh, and Kathleen Reby, too, running, you know, running for Congress. Like – they're pretty radically left wing at this point, the Democratic Party in in, yeah. in Utah. And when we and we mention it frequently, but I don't think it's frequent enough. Like we need to understand, like this, it's not Democrats are not just losing because this is a Republican dominated state. That's a big part of it. They're also losing because they've lost complete touch with this entire state and with America, in my view. But they're moving in a in a very rapidly left direction. But anyway, yeah, tell us what's going on. I agree Brian. with you. So, so Brian King, he is a nice guy. I like Brian. He is a friend. He's wrong on all of those policy issues that <laughs> that you enumerated. And and I, you know, I was laughing with him last week. In fact, he had his daughter with him, and we were at the governor's mansion. Even more surprisingly, because he was at Spencer, you know, Spencer Cox, you know, and Abby. They'll they'll have you know they'll invite people, and so. And, you know, so I was talking to Brian and his his lovely adult daughter and a few other people. And I said, I love you, Brian. You know, I'm not going to vote for you. I'm going to vote for the guy <laughs> upstairs on the third floor, you know, but um, he is a nice. It's hard to know Brian and not to like him. And, you know, um, and just to, to to make the point that Utah politics are not like D.C. politics. You know, Brian got remarried just a year and two months ago, and I was invited to his wedding reception. I went, um, I, I, I love his new wife and uh, I was friends with her. I, I actually knew her before Brian did. And I'd like to tease mm-hmm. him about that. Um, but, um, yeah, he, he's, I think this is a graceful exit strategy. He spent about 14 years in the legislature and I think it's time to move on. Somebody has to bite the bullet and run as a Democrat. Um, he's, he's going to be very articulate and he's going to, you know, make some arguments that probably resonate with a lot of, Utah voters, but what's really fascinating about his run because he's he's a he's not going to win, but he's a legitimate candidate. And you know what? If if something weird happened and he won as governor, uh, I think he would try to probably be more of a centrist governor than what you just described because he'd have to work with a very very conservative legislature. Um, and and he's he's got the political acumen that you know he could probably pull that off. But what's going to be fascinating to watch over the next. Um, six months especially, but, you know, the next 11 months, is Phil Lyman is going to be trying to pull Spencer Cox far to the right, and Brian King's going to be trying to pull him far to the middle, if mm-hmm. not a little bit, to the left. And so you've kind of got, like, you know, um, Spencer Cox in the middle of those two. And um, and remember, Spencer ser- served in the House with, with Brian King 
I think that was before, excuse me, I know it was before Phil Lyman was elected. So it's going to be an interesting race to watch. I'm going to predict right now, Spencer Cox will be elected for a second term as governor of Utah, uh, but he's going to get beat up and bloodied from the Phil Lyman supporters. And he's going to be get beat up a little bit from the Brian King people. And, and that's politics. Um, and I, I just want to end with this for years, for decades in Utah, we would say, you'd hear people say, Oh, we're Utah Democrats. We're not like those guys in DC. Those days are gone. They're exact. The Utah Democrats are exactly like those guys in DC. And you would hear for, you know, throughout the 90s and 2000s, you would hear people say, oh, I'm a Democrat in Utah, but in the other state, I'd be a Republican. Those days are gone, too. Yeah. Um, both, you know, both both parties have their extreme extremist elements that are pulling, trying to pull as hard as they can. It's a tug of war to pull their parties more to the right for the Republicans and more to the left for the Democrats. And that's why we get a Congress that can't do anything. Because these districts have been gerrymandered by the left, they've been gerrymandered by the right, and these people make their promises and they go back to D.C. and and there's not a lot to compromise on. And uh, so you're, you know, when Congress is dysfunctional, like it is now and it has been for a while, you give, by by virtue of that, you give more power to the executive branch, especially the president, and you give more power to the Supreme Court. Because you are supposed to have three co-equal branches of government but when one of them is stymied and one of them is frozen, um, the other two are going to step in and fill the void. And and that's not good for our country. Yeah. Yeah. You speak a lot of truth there. And and those those things uh, really concern me a lot. I think uh, we could probably debate this another day. But I, but I think another element, too, is, you know, people are going to will point to to like the 90s and and Gingrich and so forth. But I think the real change when it came to the U.S. Congress when it came to comedy and people, comedy, C-O-M-I-T-Y and friendships yeah. between the parties and so forth, like going to each other's weddings is when when the country became so evenly divided that every, you know, every cycle you could have a change in in leadership, um, yeah. you know, who's 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 in control. And if that were to happen in Utah, I, I personally believe the exact same thing. Right now, you guys get along super well. I think that if it were super close and every election yeah. was like, one guy, one team could win or the other. I think yeah. the, all the, you know, I'm not saying you can still be friends, but I think, if, no, I hear what you're I saying. Think a lot of the, the, the perversions and sort of the, uh, you know, what's wrong with DC would, you know, everything you over. said, I agree with. And I'm going to add one other thing, the 24 hour news cycle, the CNN, the Fox news, the MSNBC at all um, has ruined Washington DC because, yeah. you know, back in our founding fathers, you know, that they were, you know, when they got together for the Constitutional Convention, you know, there was no leaking. There was no, you know, somebody standing outside with a microphone in your face, you know, asking George Washington, what, what did you guys talk about today? They could never, the, our Constitution, our, none of that would have ever happened in, in the environment we have today. So it's good for us as consumers because we can flip on the TV and find out what's happening. But I think the 24-hour news cycle has ruined Congress and ruined yeah, Washington, yeah. D.C., a lot of truth to that. Okay, so programming note. Uh, we got Christmas. We got New Year's. So our next show, we're going to record uh, in January. So everybody have a happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, the whole thing. Spend time with your families. Don't watch uh, CNN or you know, <laughs> don't watch cable news. You don't need Definitely it. Definitely don't it's watch MSNBC. <laughs> things, will, things will be there when you get back to it in January. Yeah. Hey, we'll see you next year, Corey. All right. See you. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Bye-bye.